if you approach your business as a true business and really focus on the processes and procedures from the get-go, even when you don't need to, that's going to put you so far ahead of the curve. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He's a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Fernando Angelucci. Fernando is joining us from Chicago, Illinois. He was a previous guest on a couple of episodes. So if you Google Joe Fairless and Fernando Angelucci, the episodes will show up. Fernando, we're glad to have you back. Thank you for joining us. And how are you today? I'm doing well, Ash. Thanks for having me. Very good. Fernando is a full-time self-storage investor and syndicator. He has invested $70 million in storage in the last three years, all before turning 30 years old. Fernando, before we get into your particular skill set, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, so I was the son of two immigrants. When I was growing up, they had the old school American dream in mind. So go to school, get good grades, go work at a company for 40 years and retire with a pension. Obviously, that's not how the world works anymore. When I was wait, you're smiling. Old. So did you not get good grades either? <laughs> I got all right grades. So right. I ended up graduating with an engineering degree. So enough to graduate. Got it. But I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was 16 years old. And that's when I knew I wanted to be a real estate investor. So I lasted in the nine to five life for maybe 13 months and then started investing full time in single family and multifamily properties. As time progressed, my passive income wasn't feeling very passive. I was working 70, 80 hours a week on my portfolio. So I had decided to look elsewhere for a better way to do it. And that's when I decided to start selling all of my rentals and reinvest into self-storage facilities. And what was your exposure to self-storage before that? Not much. So we had a wholesaling business that ran alongside our residential rental business just to supply the leads. And every once in a while, we'd get a self-storage facility that would come in, but I didn't give it much thought. We ended up wholesaling two of them. You can underwrite them very similar to a multifamily property. It's an income and expenses-based valuation cap rate. And that's when I ended up starting to really take a look at them. I went to a, an expo. I connected with a bunch of other self-storage investors, started learning from them, and then went out on my own. So Fernando, your pain point was spending too much time in your portfolio. And I would imagine self-storage seemed like a way to spend less time. Is that in fact the case? Yeah. Or so when I was on that first deal. Yeah. So the multifamily properties I was buying, I was chasing yield. So I would go to class C, class D areas in some cases, and I'd buy pretty high cap rate deals. So those types of deals come with quite a bit of headache, chasing tenants for payments, dealing with challenging tenants. So what I realized is even after hiring a property management company, I still had to kind of be on call with a property management company when things wouldn't go right. And so that's when I decided to look for something that was a little bit less 
management intensive and also carried much less liability than habitation real estate. And was it in fact a lot less overhead in terms of your time? Yeah, absolutely. So my portfolio, after getting the property manager, I was still operating probably 40 hours a week. Once I got to the self-storage space, I was able to operate each of my facilities with roughly two hours a week of work. So, I mean, magnitudes of difference in time for management. And what did you do with all that free time? Went out and bought more storage. (laughs) (laughs) Going from 40 hours a week to two, that must have felt great. Where did the money come from for your self-storage deals? In the beginning, it came from our own capital. So we sold a bunch of multifamily and single family homes. We also shut down wholesaling and the hard money lending business. So we took all that capital and put it into our first couple of deals and tested the model ourselves. After running those facilities for about 18 months, I started to see that the model was working and told a bunch of my friends and family. And very soon they wanted to get in on the deals with us. So we started doing 506B syndications. And then from there, we stair-stepped into 506C syndications. So back in the day, it was my own capital, then transitioned to kind of mom and pop investors. And now we have a blended approach of mom and pop investors, as well as some of these quasi-institutional parties, such as family offices, small wealth management firms, registered investment advisors. We're not quite to the point where we're going after the institutional qualities, endowment funds, the pension funds, but probably in the next year or two, we'll start going after them as well. Fernando, the difference between 506B and C? Yeah, with 506B, there's a few differences. The first is that you're allowed to take up to 35 non-accredited investors. So an accredited investor is someone that makes either 200 or $300,000 a year for the last two years if they're married or single. And or they have a million dollar net worth, not including their personal residence. So that's an accredited investor. With 506B, it allows me to take some mom and pop, usually friends and family that aren't at the accredited stage, lets me go up to about 35 investors. The one caveat is that you have to have a previous existing substantive relationship. So you have to have documented relationship that goes back prior to you raising the capital. A 506C Unlike a 506B, allows you to generally solicit to people that you don't know. So I can get a billboard and talk about my deal. I can post it on Facebook. I can put it on bigger pockets. Anywhere I can disseminate the information to find investors. However, with 506C, I can only take accredited investors. Thank you for that. $70 million in self-storage in three years. You make it sound easy. How do you find these deals? <laughs> so I'm going to tell you right now, it was not easy. It just came down to really being thoughtful of how we built the company. So all the companies that I have run, we follow the traction model from traction by Gina Wickman. I believe it's called EOS, Entrepreneur's Operating System. And what I've realized from the beginning of getting into real estate is that you really need two companies. You need your real estate operations company, and then you need a real estate marketing company. So coming from the wholesale world and the residential world where you have a much higher transaction volume, we learned how to build up a pretty hefty marketing platform and then went and brought it over to the self-storage side so that we didn't have to rely on brokers to do that marketing for us and then having to compete with all the people out in the market compressing cap rates. So 93 to 95% of the properties we buy nowadays come direct to seller. 
And the way we reach those sellers are through kind of the traditional channels. So sending them direct mail, text campaigns, cold calling, driving for dollars, relationships with providers that may have access, for example, attorneys, CPAs, things like that. We also go to self-storage association trade shows, any type of state chapters as well to find sellers that may be interested in getting rid of the property without having to pay fees to a broker. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference February 24th through 26th, back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. What is your criteria for taking down a self-storage facility? Is it minimum number of units, city center, close proximity to whatever? We have three main verticals. So each of them have a different purchase criteria. So the oldest and the first one is buying mom and pop facilities. These are typically owners that they're on their second or third career. They treat the business kind of like a hobby, if you will. They're typically smaller facilities, but they're up and running and they're cash flowing. With these types of facilities, in the storage space, we don't really talk unit numbers because you can have a 5 by 5 unit or a 10 by 40 unit. So we talk more by net rentable square feet. So I like to buy things that are 35,000 net rentable square feet or larger with the ability to expand up to 60 to 65,000 square feet once they're stabilized. And then what that does is allows me to put together regional portfolios that I can then spin the debt off, refinance into the CMBS market or the commercial mortgage-backed securities market to get some non-recourse loans and get longer amortization periods in the 30-year range. So that's one side. The other side is we realize that to get to our 10-year goal, which is to have 8.5 million net rentable square feet of storage we needed to acquire larger and larger properties. The problem is as soon as you eclipse over that 60 to 65,000 square foot range, now you're competing against REITs and pretty large private equity firms. And they start to drive the cap rates down to four, four and a half, five 5%. And I'm just not willing to buy in those ranges. So what we figured was to get properties that were that size, we'd have to build them. So on this side, we're typically looking for land anywhere between four to five acres if we're going vertical, putting up a three or four story property, or eight to 10 acres if we're going horizontal. 
we're looking to be able to put up anywhere between a hundred to 150,000 net rentable on each site. And we'll typically buy those properties in the one to four or $5 a foot range or anywhere between 50 to 250,000 an acre. But recently with the pandemic and the cost of materials going through the roof, namely steel, which is what we primarily deal in. Steel during the pandemic went up three to 400% almost overnight. We decided to pivot to our third strategy, and that is to take advantage of the failing big box retail market and go in and acquire these old stores that were Sears buildings or circuit cities or Kmart or Walmarts, what have you, and then convert those into storage. The reason we like using that strategy is now I can walk into a shell that is anywhere between 100 to 150,000 square feet. I can usually take them down between 10 to $20 a foot and then build out the inside. Now that allows us to do two things that's really advantageous. The first is it's weathered in already. So we don't have to deal with weather conditions. In the Midwest, it gets too cold sometimes to pour concrete. Down in the South and the Southeast, sometimes it gets too hot to pour concrete and that can stall our projects. A typical ground up development takes 12 months from shovel to certificate of occupancy. Whereas these conversion projects or adaptive reuse projects take us about six to seven months. So that's number one. The second piece, it also drops our total project cost by anywhere between a third to a half of the total project cost. So I can put up a class A REIT grade facility anywhere between a hundred to $115 a foot. That's the total project cost. That's land, soft, hard cost, financing, the whole deal. With these conversion projects, I can usually keep them in the 60 to $70 a foot range, but still sell at around the same multiple or the same cap rate that I would one of these larger ground up developments. So those are kind of the two main advantages when it comes to buying those conversion projects. Now, as far as location goes, we're looking to be surrounded by our demand drivers. So we want to be on high traffic count areas. We want to be surrounded by dense residential. We want people to be in kind of the middle to upper middle class range. They have disposable income, but they don't have enough room to store their possessions. So that's typically where we're looking to go as far as location goes. And Fernando, what's the smallest big box you would build a facility inside of? I like to have at least 80,000 net rentable square feet. And the conversion or the efficiency ratio is typically 75 to 85%. So if I'm able to buy a 100,000 square foot big box, I can fit 75 to 85,000 net rentable because I lose some space to hallways and office, bathrooms, mechanicals, closets, things like that. Now, it doesn't necessarily need to be 100,000 square feet. If we have a clear height, the height to the bottom of the rafters, if you will, of 20 to 22 feet or better, then I can actually buy smaller footprints and create a mezzanine level on the inside. So I can buy a 50,000 square foot big box retail store and then double the square footage I'm able to put in there because I put two layers on the inside. What does zoning think of? taking a beautiful J.C. Penney building and turning it into self-storage. What does the city it, say? Typically, the city welcomes us with open arms because by the time we're able to get these properties at the prices we want, they've probably been vacant or dormant for four or five years. The seller cannot find somebody to release them. 
and they usually start becoming blighted. And the, the city doesn't want to have that blighted property. It's a huge property, right? It's a large building and it's usually on major thoroughfares. So when people drive through the commercial thoroughfares of that area, they constantly will see this property that's falling apart. So they usually welcome us with open arms. The last deal that I did about two months ago on the conversion side, I went through zoning in 15 days. I had one meeting over Zoom and they approved my zoning change within 20 minutes. That's wild. I would have thought the opposite. They want something for the community, a park, you know how typical zoning meetings go. Right. So that's fantastic to hear. So you don't have much resistance at all. No, and we'll pre-flight a lot of deals as well. So if it's a municipality that records their open sessions, we'll read through those and see how much of an appetite they have for conversions and self-storage in general. We'll see what the reaction of the community is. So if we walk into a site where from the get-go, I usually call the economic development committee, I'll call zoning before I even tell them what property I'm looking at and just try to pick the brain. Hey, how do you feel about storage in the area? Is this something that you'd be interested in? Class A, we haven't picked a site yet. If I already start feeling any type of resistance, I'll just move on to the next deal. Because we have a very efficient marketing engine, we're looking at anywhere between 10 to 15 deals per week. So we're just going to take the low hanging fruit, right? If anything's going to have a lot of resistance, we'd rather just walk away and go to do a deal in a different area that will welcome us there with open arms. Yeah, that's still shocking. I thought you guys were like used car lots where no municipality wants them, especially in their city center. And that's a piece of education that we have to give them, right? When I say self-storage, a lot of local municipalities, they think of the old school gravel, all drive up, no security. Barbed wire fence. Right. That's not what we build. What we build, it looks like class A office building from the outside. It is really gorgeous. So what we'll do is we'll send over PowerPoint decks that show this is what the old one looks like. We don't build this. Here's what our facilities look like. And here's the last 15 that we've done. Feel free to look them up on Google Maps. Here's photos. Here's drone photos that we have, videos of each if you want to see what they look like. Because that is one of the pieces that we have to get through with them is just changing that mindset about the asset class as it's changed over the generations. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes. But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to start your own syndication business or maybe you've tried, but you've been unable to get your first apartment deal? Well, it's hard. I know firsthand getting started in syndication is not easy. So have you considered working with a mentor? Imagine working one-on-one with a full-time syndicator who can help you do your first apartment building deal faster, help you avoid big mistakes and scale your portfolio. If you feel like I'm speaking to you right now, then I want you to check out the mentoring program from my friend Michael Blanc, who specializes in helping people get started with apartment buildings. I've known Michael for many years now, and he genuinely wants to help people become financially free. He developed a proven system and has helped hundreds of people do their first apartment building deal. I know he can help you as well. To find out more, text the word Joe, J-O-E, to 66866. I know Michael's going to take care of you. Go ahead and text the word Joe, J-O-E to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind and let's get you started with your own apartment syndication business. Here's a problem you're probably not solving for right now. Have you ever had a tenant squat inside your rental and refuse to pay rent? 
or are you worried about renting to a serial rent dodger? You've probably used a credit report for tenant screening before, but what if I told you you're missing out on info you need to properly verify prospective tenants? That's a problem, and the solution is Rentify. Rentify provides a summary of a prospective tenant's financial information using bank-verified transactional data you can't get from a credit check. This includes monthly income, payroll, past rent payments, and identity verification. Rentify's reports also highlight non-sufficient funds, overdraft history, and missed rent payments. It's all available at www.trustrentify.com. The best part is Rentify's financial reports instantly verify the full financial picture of a tenant within minutes, so you will no longer have to waste hours or even days verifying their information manually. And you can eliminate the risk of being duped by fraudulent documents and losing thousands of dollars getting unreliable tenants evicted. Visit TrustRentify.com and use the promo code FAIRLESS for 25% off your first report package. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-N-T-I-F-Y.com. Put in the promo code FAIRLESS, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, for 25% off your first report package. All right, now you're starting to sell me. From a syndication perspective, what types of returns do your investors get? It depends on the type of asset, right? So if we're buying a mom and pop facility or a portfolio of facilities that are ready cash flowing, that's going to have less risk. So the internal rate of return is going to be between 16 to 20%. The equity multiple is going to be anywhere between 1.6 to two times the money. Our syndications are typically set up as five-year deals. On the other side, if we're doing a ground up construction or a adaptive reuse, those deals, they take a little bit while to hit cash flow positive. So on those ones, we're usually shooting for a 20 to a 25% internal rate of return and a two to a 2.5 times equity multiple. It's great that you give investors two different options, ones that want cash flow and others that just want total returns. Yeah. And that's what we found. Some people, they're investing to live off of the cash that their investments make, while others, they may have the exact opposite problem. They have too much cash coming in. It's really affecting their balance sheet. It's affecting their taxable events, and they want more depreciation than anything else, which self-storage lends itself to well because of the use of cost segregation. So we're able to typically, especially if we're building them from the ground up, for every dollar invested, we can typically offer $2 back in depreciation and net loss carry forward. I like that. And what's the minimum investment to get in? 50000 is the minimum on most of our deals. Every once in a while, we'll do smaller one-off deals for friends and family. And the minimums on those are usually 25000 For somebody in your shoes that gets tired of multifamily, tired of working 80 hours in their portfolio, what advice would you give them? If you approach your business as a true business and really focus on the processes and procedures from the get-go, even when you don't need to, that's going to put you so far ahead of the curve. If you haven't already read Traction by Gina Wickman, I really recommend it. The E-Myth Revisited is another great one that talks about systems and processes. And then I wish I would have hired an executive assistant earlier on in my career. I think that is the number one hire everyone should make. They help you with the personal side. They help you with the business side. They're almost like a ninja that is able to move between departments and do the things that are lower value activities that you don't necessarily need to do yourself. Yeah, that's great advice. And for a lot of these best ever listeners that are inundated, I also recommend doing a time audit where you, in maybe 20 minute increments, 
write down where your time goes every day and you'd be amazed at what you can put systemize and offload to different people and especially an executive assistant. Yeah, so that's we, great advice. In our company, we have a mandatory two-week time audit once a year and we go every 15 minutes, the alarm goes off. So the very first thing we look at is what can we eliminate before we even try to automate or delegate? And once you eliminate, then what can you automate? And then things that you can't automate, then you delegate to another physical person. Wait a minute, explain that. So every 15 minutes, I have to record what I did for the last 15 minutes. Yep. So everyone sets an alarm on their phone. It goes off every 15 minutes from the beginning of the workday to the end of the workday for two weeks in a row. And (laughs) do you think that makes people more efficient? Because it's similar to tracking calories or what you're eating. You don't want to screw around because you're like, oh my God, what do I put down after my 15 minutes? Have you seen efficiency go up during that two week period? Absolutely. The old saying is what gets measured gets done. And it's also helpful the way we tell our employees, this is not something to punish you. We really want to help you. So be hyper transparent because we can find things that maybe we can eliminate, or maybe we find some processes that aren't very smooth and we need to edit those processes. And sometimes with just recently, we find that some of our roles are inundated and they actually need support themselves. So then we'll bring in a junior member to sit underneath that role to take off a lot of the lower level activities. Fernando, do you wait until the end of that two week period to tabulate the data and analyze it? They're uploaded in spreadsheets that are saved in our company Dropbox. So anyone could go in and see anyone else's scorecard on a daily basis. Wow. I love that. What a great idea. Fernando, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Put yourself out there. This is a business that is built on networks. And the old adage is definitely true. Your network is your net worth. You never know who you can help out in the space. Lead with contribution. And just let everyone know what you're trying to do and what your goals are. I already slipped it into this podcast, right? I'm trying to get to eight and a half million square feet by the end of the 10-year period since we started this business. And people will respond to that positively. They'll try to help you out. And in turn, maybe you can help them or you could do joint venture partnerships or strategic partnerships. Such great advice. Fernando, thank you for being on the show today. You've given us a tremendous amount of advice on not just self-storage, but running your business. Uh, We appreciate your time. So thank you. Thanks for having me, Ash. Fernando, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? I do something that's a little uh, different. So I can tell you to go to all like the generic websites and social medias. You can go to impactselfstorage.com or titanwealthgroup.com or all of the social media handles attached to those. But what I found is the more barriers I put in place for people to contact me, the less likely they are to contact me. So what I'll do is I'll give you my cell phone number. (laughs) My area code is 630-408. 8090. Again, that's 630-408-8090. That's my real cell phone number. You can text, you can call me. I'd love to hear about what you're doing and if you're getting involved in the self-storage space and how I can help you out. You're blowing me away. Does that go to your assistant or does that really go to your hip? No, that that goes right here. Wow. (laughs) That's incredibly gracious. Well, Fernando, again, great talking to you and thank you again for all of your advice. I really appreciate you having me on, Ash. Thank you. Best ever listeners. Thank you for joining us and have a best ever day.